Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, Hopefully you have your Bibles with you, and if you do, uh, open up to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning, and so if you have your Bible or the Pew Bible uh, right there in front of you, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, we're going to read it as we go through this morning. And so as you're turning there, a quick word of prayer. Father God, once again, we come to your word this morning. And Lord, once again, for the second week in a row, we talk about something that most people do not want to hear a pastor talk on. But Father, it is so important that we do because Your Word talks to us so much about it. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would take this time this morning, that You would help us to focus in upon You, upon Your Word, and I pray that You would enable me to teach Your Word rightly, truthfully, clearly. And that, Holy Spirit, that You would do a work within us as individuals and as Your church that would bring glory to You, Lord, and the shape and change us more into Your image, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, that was pretty good. Hopefully you're all doing well. Welcome to June. It kind of felt like June this past week. Uh, kind of nice. I put the air conditioners in like three weeks ago when it was hot for two days and then it got cold. And I'm like, oh, why did I do that? And then I didn't have to put them in in 90 degree temperatures. It was fantastic. Uh, I'm going to say something that might be a surprise to you. Uh, you may or may not know this, but I'm getting older, right? Uh, I don't know if you know that. Um, I was gonna. T- I, I have to correct something that I said last week. Last week I told you I'm starting my 17th year. Uh, I think I'm wrong on that. I think it's year 16, right? Noah's 15, yeah. So Amy's counting on her finger. It's 16, right? And so uh, June 1st is my anniversary date every year. And I tell you every year, I, I, I think it's f- kind of full. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, I am the longest tenured pastor in the history of this church. Uh, which spans just over 150 years, if my history and counting are correct. But uh, this past week, June 1st, I started my 16th year here at the church. Uh, It doesn't really feel that long, uh, but it has been. And since I am getting older, you know what that also means? I wasn't going to say you're getting older, Bob. I was going to say my kids are getting older as well. Uh, And one of the things that happens when you have kids is this. When kids are really young, no matter what you do as a parent, your kids are impressed by, right? Oh, mom can do that. Dad can do that, right? Like young, like you can like fold a piece of paper in half and kids are like, ooh, like like they're really impressed by just about everything that you do. But what happens is this, as your kids get older, guess what happens? It's like overnight, you can no longer impress them, and they look at you like, really? Seriously, that's all you got? Like, you, you, you got to do more to impress me. Parents, we've all been there. Uh, as teenagers, we've all been there. Well, my daughter, I won't use Bethany's name, but Bethany is getting to uh, that age. I usually don't use uh, age, uh, uh, the ages of the names of the kids, but I kind of have to this week. And this week, I picked Bethany up from dance. And we were talking about all the kids that were at dance this week because her dance recital is at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So you know you'll at least be done by 2 today, right? And so they had the dance practices this week. And so everybody had to be there, right? Not just her class, but everybody. And she goes, there's like 8 million kids in there. And I'm like, really? 8 million kids in there, right? I go, I didn't even think that building could fit 8 million kids. And she's like, well, I don't actually mean like 8 million. Like, 
she goes, and so we went back and forth in a couple minutes, and she goes, there's like 20 kids in there. I go, well, 20 is a lot different than 8 million. And so what I did, and Bob, you'll probably be impressed by this too. At the drop of a hat, I told her the difference between 8 million and 20. Right, just not the, and like she was so impressed by it, I could see in the rearview mirror because I'm driving, her jaw dropped. Right, she, and I'm like, wait, what's wrong? Because she was speechless, and she wouldn't tell me because you know, once you hit this age, you can't tell your parents that they impressed you. Right, you can't do that. Like that's the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And so, I, I go, are you impressed that I came up with the difference between eight million and twenty in like two seconds? She goes, yeah. Right? And it was like one of those looks where the child was like, my parent is actually smart. Right? Like my parent actually has some wisdom going on in their heads because it was a light bulb moment for her. Wisdom is one of those things that not everybody has the same amount of. We can agree on that, right? Not everybody has the same amount of wisdom. But the great thing about wisdom is wisdom is something that somebody can learn and apply and grow in as they live their lives. And that's something else we can agree on. This morning, we're going to see the rich fool who does not have any wisdom when it comes to his wealth, to his finances. Last week, we started this little thing that I'm calling conversations with the pastor. I told you two weeks on money three weeks on prayer, and then we're going to spend the rest of the summer talking about something else that I've had many conversations with. And what that is, you'll have to join us next week to find out what the third aspect of it is. But last week we talked about the heart behind it all when it came to money. That we had to look at the heart. That our heart needs to be in the right place because as I told you last week, money issues come from heart issues. Well, this morning, when it comes to money, you're either the foolish, wealthy, or the wise, wealthy. When it comes to your riches, you're either foolish or you're wise. And here's the catch this morning. Who does God say you are when it comes to your money? When it comes to your money and your funds, would God say you're wise or you're foolish? You're like, I don't know. Well, I'm glad you came. Because this morning, that's what we're going to take a look at. I have two points for you this morning. We have the foolish rich, and we have the wise rich. And so, let's get going here. The foolish rich. We have to start here. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 20. I'm going to read you the first couple of verses to begin with. Jesus says this. Well, someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. And so, here, I need to set this up for you. Jesus is in the middle of a very good sermon, right? Hopefully you've been in that situation before, right? There's a good sermon going on, right? Hopefully, Bob... Bob, you shake your head, I'm going to have to bring up how the Eagles lost in the Super Bowl, right? Or you just got to do that, right? But Jesus is in the middle of a really good sermon, and he's hitting on really important things. 
He's talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin. Like this is the only sin that cannot be forgiven of. He's talking about that. He's talking about the kingdom of God and how to get into heaven. All major important things like that. And you could feel that where the Spirit is upon and the room is heavy because things are important. And then some guy in the middle of the sermon just goes, Jesus, can you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like, have you ever been in an important conversation and somebody goes, hey, you want to get a sandwich? And you just want to slap the person upside the head because it's not the moment. Like, yes, I would love a sandwich, but now is not the time to ask if I want a sandwich. Important things are being communicated right here. That's what happens. Important stuff going on. And some guy goes, tell my brother to share with me. He's not giving me enough of the inheritance. Most likely, this man and his brother who was there with him, their dad probably had just passed in the near time period. And this other brother was probably, most likely, the older brother. And the older brother got more of the inheritance of the estate of the dad when he passes away. And so this younger brother yells out to Jesus, Jesus, tell him to give me more. I want more of the inheritance. And I love what Jesus says here. Jesus I don't have time for this. He says it in a nicer way. But if you ever answer somebody, I don't have time for this, Jesus did the same thing. He goes, I'm not here to be a judge or an arbiter between you. Now you have to understand, in the culture, rabbis, Jewish rabbis would do things like this. But Jesus goes, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. And you're talking about money. He goes, I don't have time for this. And so Jesus goes on to say, He goes, be on guard against all kinds of greed. I mentioned last week that people hate when the pastor talks about money. But surprisingly, I had a lot of you tell me, more than I thought, that last week's sermon was good. We have to talk about money. Not because we want you to give more, but because it's important. You see, Jesus talked about money all the time. And He didn't do it so that people would give more money to Him because Judas was stealing it. He didn't care. The reason Jesus talked about money so much is this, and I want you to understand this. Greed keeps people out of heaven. Did you know that? Greed keeps people out of heaven. And what I mean by that is this. That a person who is greedy, they just want more money, more stuff, more power, and they don't want Jesus. They want the things that Jesus will give to them, but they don't want Jesus. They don't want to put their faith in Christ. They just want more stuff, and they'd rather have the stuff than have Jesus as their Lord, God, Savior, and King. And they're greedy, and their greed keeps them from a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's why Jesus talks about money so much. Because money is your idol. Money is your king. Money is your God. And when money is those things, Jesus goes, God can't be those things. And it's keeping you from heaven. And so Jesus goes, you need to be on guard against all kinds of greed. So let me ask you, are you? Do you guard yourself against greed in your life? 
Because Jesus tells us to be on watch. Jesus tells us to be on guard against sin. So the question is, Jesus is telling us to do something. Am I actually guarding my life against greed? Because as I told you last week, the world does an amazing job to get you not to be content with what you have. The world gets you and I to think and believe that life is made up of and is better when it's fuller with more stuff. Really? I have met people that don't have much, but they are so much happier than those who have a lot of stuff. Did you know that? Jesus goes, and maybe this is for you this morning. Maybe this is a verse that you need. Jesus says at the end of verse 15, it's still up here on the screen, Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Listen, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But the world in which we live in tells us that our life is based upon how much stuff you have. Jesus goes, no. Your life does not consist of the amount of possessions you have. And so Jesus gives us this warning about greed. And then he goes right into a parable to help get the picture and the idea across. And what that parable is, it's verses 16 and 17 I'm going to read to you. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to read to you. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And so what happens is this. Jesus goes, there is a rich man. And he produced a good crop. So he's a wealthy farmer and his vineyards, his crops, whatever it was, produced a whole lot that summer. The ground was good and fertile. The weather was good. There was a good amount of rain. His stuff wasn't dying like my grass is in my yard. Like things are going went really well for him. And the crop produced so much. So much. He goes, self, what do I do with all that I have? Wow. What a problem. You ever have that problem? What do I do with all the wealth that I have? He has too much of a crop. His crop is so large that he doesn't have a place to store it. He worked really hard, don't get me wrong, as any farmer has to work hard to produce a good crop. So I'm not saying he didn't work, but he, he has all this stuff and he has no place to put it. He's a person that is running out of room for his crops. So he needs a plan. So what would you do? Ready? Ten seconds. What would you do? Not out loud, but in your head. What would you do if you had this man's problem? What would you do if you had so much wealth you didn't have anywhere to put it? Because this man, he says this, verses 18 and 19. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And that's this man's plan. He goes, I know what I'm going to do. All the storage buildings that I have, I'm going to tear them all down. I'm going to build bigger and better ones. And I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. All my goods, all my grain. You see, this is not just for the grain, it's for the goods. What are the goods? Well, it's the quad, it's the boat, 
It's the motorcycle, it's the second truck, it's the side-by-side, the tractor, all that stuff. He's not just looking for a place to store the grain that grew in his yard. He also needs a place for his stuff, his goods. So he goes, I'm going to build bigger storage areas. I'm going to keep it all here. And I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a great plan. Sounds like something you and I would do. But there's a problem with this plan. Let's go back to verses 18 and 19. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What's the problem to his plan? It's all about himself. You see the I and me and myself in those verses? It's all about him. It's all about himself. There's no mention of a wife. There's no mention of kids. There's no mention of giving some to the people who work for him. There's nothing about giving to the poor and the needy or the single parent or to the priest in the temple. There's not even anything about giving it to the Lord. There's nothing about giving it away and helping other people. It's all about himself. It's all about me, myself, and I. This is the man that we talked about last week. This is the man that is storing up treasures in this world because it's all about him. Charles Spurgeon said this of this man. He said, his charity began at home and ended there. He lived only for himself. That's the problem with this man. Who do you live for when it comes to your money? This is the reason if you do premarital counseling with me, we will talk about money and I'll look you in the face and tell you not to have two accounts. I tell every married couple to have one single account. It's not yours. Married couple is one. Maybe one with three or four different bank accounts. Don't have both names on it. Where's the oneness in that? Not. You see, you and I, we look at this man and go, wow, he's pretty wise, what he did. He built all those barns and he was able to store all his wealth and all. And notice Jesus doesn't curse him for having wealth. It's how he's handling it, what he's doing with it. He goes, it's all about yourself. We go, that's a perfect plan. That plan makes one sense. That makes perfect sense. But there's a problem to his plan. And you know what it is? It's what God says in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool! Pause there. In our eyes, this man acted wisely with his money. God goes, you're a fool. He goes, you're a fool. He goes, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He goes, you're a fool. This is how you're handling all the wealth that I've given you. You're foolish. You're being a fool. This man took his wealth, handled it wrong, and God goes, you're a fool. Once again, this is the person that we talked about last week. The heart behind all of it was wrong. This man's heart was off. It was wrong. It was not right with God. 
This is the person who's storing up treasures for self. He was focused on himself and he was serving money and not God. And God goes, because of that, you are a fool. So let me ask you, if God were to come to you right now, and only on the basis of how you handle the funds that he gives you, would he call you a fool? I go, Pastor, really? Do I have to answer that question? Yeah, answer it in your head. Answer it in your head. Because notice what he says in verse 21. So this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself. God will call you a fool, and when this life is over, you don't have anything stored up for you in heaven because you stored it all up here on this side of, of heaven. These are very strong words from God, aren't they? There is the foolish rich. So let me ask you, are you the foolish rich? Well, pastor, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. You're rich. You have more than the people that, were, that, people that Jesus was talking to in this account. Do you know that? You have more than most people in this world right now. If you think I'm kidding, it says pull up the dump in Guatemala. That's where the kids and the adults find their food every day. They pull it out of the city dump. Have you ever had to do that? I remember when Amy went to Africa, she left her shoes there because the kids didn't have shoes. You know what they got to eat at the orphanage she was at? This boiled leafy stuff that looked like lettuce. That's all they ate that day. You and I are rich. Stop looking at wealth through the eyes of America and look at wealth through the lens of the world. And here's the thing. Scripture is not talking about an amount. It's about the heart behind the amount and what you do with it. When it comes to handling money, there are many fools in and out of the church, and the reason they are foolish is, well, God tells us why. The wise rich, verse 21. Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself. Notice that. Anybody who stores things up for themselves is a fool. But notice the word but is not rich towards God. The reason that this man and those who handle funds like this man are foolish is because they do not, they're not rich toward God. Notice the word but in that verse. I told you all the time. If you're reading the Scriptures and you're studying the Scriptures, the word therefore, the word so that, and the word but are very important words when you're studying the Scriptures and you're reading them. And this is the verse that got me this week. And I can't tell you the hours that I've wrestled with these words for myself. Not rich towards God. I've wrestled with this. I told you before, when it's warm, I prepare the sermon in here. I study for a couple hours and then I walk around in here. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the sermon. I'm going, Lord, what's the message you have for your people this week? That's what I do on a Thursday. It starts on Tuesday, but the bulk of the work is on a Tuesday. And I walked around in here this Thursday going, what does it mean to be rich towards God? 
And I had so many things come to my mind. We could be rich towards God with our words, with our actions, with our reading, with our prayers, with our service. And I'm going, but I can't go that way. And the reason I can't go into those ways is because of the context of this, the passage. I've told you, context has to be there. What's the context of the passage? Money, greed, money issues. And I go, so how are we rich towards God with the funds that He has given us? And once again, it's not an amount. Stop with the amount in your head. It's the heart behind it and how you handle it and what you do with it. How are you rich towards God? And I'm thinking on this and I'm praying about this and I'm, I'm studying on it. What does this mean? To be rich towards God means this. It means counting God greater than anything on earth. Counting God greater than anything on earth. I'm going to ask you some questions because I asked them myself to me. Remember, I have to work through this stuff. I preach to myself before I ever preach to you and I wrestle with this stuff. I don't just give it to you, but I wrestle with it. And so I want to give you just a couple of questions to get the juices in your mind flowing. Not to produce guilt because I don't want that. But I want you to see this. See, this is where God works in our heart. You don't want me to preach anymore because you don't want to enter into the heart and allow God to work on your inner being. But this is where God works in us. Don't just answer these questions, but look at your heart and the way you live and then answer them to yourselves. Ready? Who's greater? Say this to yourself. God or your car? Those of you that drive trucks, who's greater? God or your truck? How about this one? Who's greater? God or your house? Remember, don't just answer them. Look at your heart and how you live. Who's greater? God? Vacation. Who's greater? God or the TV? Who's greater? God or the person in the mirror? You see, to be rich towards God means to count God greater than anything on earth. Who or what do you count to be greater than God? Because being rich towards God starts there. That when you look at all of it and you go, God, you're greater than all of this. You're greater than the job and the home and the truck and the car and the motorcycle and this and that. You're greater than all of it. And then you live like it. See, that's the thing. We could say that God is greater, but we won't live like it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's the heart behind the money and how we handle the money, not the amount. He goes, you need to live in a way that your money shows that God is the greatest thing in your life. You see, being rich towards God is this. Taking the riches that you have. Remember, not an amount. Taking the riches that you have and then taking that and using that to show how much you value God. How great God is in your life. And there are other ways of doing this. There's a lot of ways to do this. But we're all sitting in church, 
And so I'll use this as an example because we're all in church. We use offerings to the Lord. Now, we don't spend a lot of time talking about offering and money and things along those lines here. But let's just use this as an example. I would like you to take a one in your life. Notice I didn't say need. I'm not talking about food, water, and shelter. I'm talking about a want. Netflix, eating out, something that you pay for daily, weekly, monthly. Okay, remember a one. Get that number in your mind and then ask yourself, how much did I give to the Lord in that same period of time? Now, going by the use of your funds, who do you value more? Remember, we're only zoomed in on money. There's other ways to figure this out. But only by the use of your funds, who do you value more? I know it's painful, but these are the areas where we have to enter into with the Word of God and let God work in us and let the Holy Spirit work and shape us. Would you say you're being rich towards God based on the way you handle your funds? Could you say that in the way you use the riches that God has given you, that they show how much you value God? You see, that's the key. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. The key is not that you live under a box and give everything away. The key is using the riches that God has given to you so that you can be rich towards God. That's the key. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we do this? How are we rich towards God? And here's the thing. I'm going to give you what the Scripture tells us. And you could argue with me and fight with me. I have had people do that with me on this. It's fine. My job is to tell you what God says in His Word. For me, I'm going to side with God because I think God knows better than the guy on YouTube. Just my opinion. But I can only tell you and show you what God says in His Word. So when it comes to our funds, how are you rich towards God? What's how you manage them? How you use them? Right? And I'm going to lay four things at your feet. Don't worry. I'm laying them at your feet. I can easily spend the next hour and a half on these four things alone. Okay? My daughter has a dance recital this, today, as you all know. Okay? And you all hate when I talk about money. Do you know I don't like to talk about money? Do you know that? I don't like to do it. Because all I feel like I'm doing up here is like poking you in the forehead, right? And I don't always like to do it. For five minutes, yes. But like for 40 or 75 by the time we get done this morning, it's not as fun, right? How do we do this? First, earning it. How do you look at your job? and what you earn from work. This is going to be very countercultural. Ready? God created you to work. God did not create you to sit around and do absolutely nothing. I know our culture is against that. God created you to work. God placed Adam in the garden to work it before sin entered into the world. 
God created you to work. Work did not come because sin entered into the world. Better yet, God is a God who works. God is not lazy. God is not idle. God does not sit around twiddling His thumbs. He works. You have been created in the image of a God who works. Therefore, you are to work and you are to mirror His image. And that is partly as a worker. God has created you to work. And Scripture paints the picture that no matter what you are doing, you're to work to the glory of God. So whether you're preparing taxes for somebody, whether you're slicing lunch meat for somebody, whether you're a school teacher, or whether you're working in a grocery store, whether you're doing collecting garbage, whatever it is, whatever your job is, you're not working for the company. You're not working for the school district. You're not working for the person whose name is on the check that they give you every week. If you're self-employed, you're not working for yourself. You're working for God. I've told you in the past, when I was at Wegman and scraping black lunch meat out of the cracks of a cooler floor, I go, I'm here because this is what Jesus wants me to be doing. I'm working for God. You've been created to work. Okay? And you work for God. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you're there to work for God. And those abilities that you are using, well, God gave those to you as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this chapter. Verse 17 to 18. God is talking to the nation of Israel. He goes, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Notice, I produced His wealth all by myself, my power, my strength, and my ability. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The only reason you can go to work tomorrow and earn a paycheck is because God has given you the ability to do so. Only reason. Only reason. Now because of all of this, you need to realize that none of the money you have is yours. And I know you hate that. I've had so many people tell me that they hate this. Your money is not yours. Actually, nothing you have is yours. It's all God's. What do you mean by that? Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I don't know. That seems to mean everything. And Scripture doesn't see everything in the world as God's except for this little spot in Wilkes-Barre or Plymouth or Larksville or wherever else you all live. Everything. Everything. All of it. God's. Your money and my money are not ours, but it's God's. And because of it, we are stewards. And that word steward is the word manager. Friends, you are to manage God's money the way God wants you to. For example, the last car you bought, did you pray before you bought it? Did you actually ask God if He wanted you to buy that car with His money? What about the the house you bought? What about the shoes you bought? God, it's your money. What do you want me to do with it? Do you want me to buy this? 
Pastor, that's a bit much. Not really. When you understand that God lets you use his money, he wants you and I to use it his way. And so when it comes to earning money, do you look at it as it's all his because it actually is his? When you start to see everything that you have belongs to God and you're to manage God's money his way, then guess what you're on your road to doing? Being rich towards God. But there's a second thing. Spending it. Yes. Spending it. Seriously, Pastor? Yeah. Don't worry, I won't poke, your, poke you in the forehead this much next week. Spending it. How's your spending? Do we really have to be honest about that in church, Pastor? I don't know if I want to do that. I came across two things this week. One is a study that came out in January of this year, 2023. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 60% living paycheck to paycheck. Which means only 40% of people in America right now are not living paycheck to paycheck. And you, if you are living paycheck to paycheck, going by the statistics, most likely you are, you're going, yeah, the ones that are making, that aren't living paycheck to paycheck, they're making a lot more money than I am. Ah, no, hold that, hold that thought. Because the second thing that I came across is a study that came out in 2022. I almost said 2022, right? 2022, ready? 65.9% of Americans making between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. Did you get that? 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 66%. The people in America making fifty dollars to $100,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. Why is that? I will give it to you that in some cases the person is not making enough money. I got you. Those cases are out there. They're real. But if we're honest, much of it is spending. Spending more a month than we make because we want this, that, and the other thing. We're trying to live a life greater than the one we can afford. It's America. That we try to live a life greater than the one we can afford. As a people, our spending is absolutely crazy. Crazy. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A foolish man devours everything he has. I'm just, I'll just buy everything. I'm going to spend it all. Spending on stuff we don't need leads us into debt. And I'm not going to go off on debt because you want to go home at some point today. But how can you use God's money to bless others when you have to give it all to Visa and MasterCard? How can you use God's money when you have to give it to the car company? How can you use God's money when, when you give it all to Amazon? How do you manage God's money when you do that? Proverbs 22, verse 7, down the bottom says this. Listen to this verse. The rich rule over the poor. Yeah, we know that, but get the second part. And the borrower is servant to the lender. If you have a loan, if you're in debt, you're a servant to the person you borrowed money from. The reason you go to work tomorrow is because of Visa and MasterCard. 
They're for the car company. You're going to work for them tomorrow. You want to know why? Because you're their servant. You're their servant. So let's go back a week. God says you cannot serve God and money. So who's your master, Jesus or Visa? And here's the big thing with debt. Debt happens many times, not all the times, but many times because we're not content. Car is five years old, it's perfectly fine, but eh, I want a different one. The appliances in the kitchen, they look fine, they run fine, it's all good, but they just don't match the new paint color. So now I have to go spend $3,000 on new appliances just to match the paint color. It's okay, I'll just put that on the credit card and be in debt. Well, what does God say about that? Debt happens because we find our identity, our security, and our satisfaction in things and not in Jesus. Don't get me wrong on this. This does not mean we can't buy something or go on vacation or things like that. But our spending is in check with our earnings. Our spendings are prayed about. God wants you to enjoy the things of life, but you're to enjoy Jesus more than the things of life because Jesus is the giver of true life. So how do you earn it? How do you spend it? Three, investing in it. Investing. I mean, the Bible talks about investing money. Yes, the Bible talks about money in many ways. It's just that you don't want to hear about it. You don't want to apply it. Because as I said, the guy on YouTube seems smarter. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. How do you leave an inheritance for your grandchildren when it comes to money? Only way to do that is to invest it, to save it. Scripture tells you to do that. You take part of what God gives you and you invest it. You store it up for later. God actually wants you to do this. To take part of what He gives you and to save it and invest it for later. Later in life, something to leave your kids and your grandchildren. But if we spend so much money every single month on stuff that we don't need, then we don't have anything left over to save and invest for down the road. Being rich towards God is going, God, how do you want me to handle these funds? And part of that is saving. Not that your trust is in those funds, but that your trust is in the Lord. And you're going, Lord, your word tells me to do this, and so I'm just looking for your guidance. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? And then lastly, you think you know what the last one is? Giving. You're in church. You should have expected that. Giving. I don't preach on giving much. 16 years, I, you could ask Bob. I haven't preached on giving much. He'd probably want me to preach on giving more as a treasurer. The reason I don't preach on giving much is that I think, and I believe Scripture tells us this, if the heart is with the Lord and the heart is right with the Lord, the giving will follow. Listen to me. You are to give with the money that God gives to you. God is a giver. Therefore, you and I are to be givers. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. I'm not even going to get into it because you'd be here a long, long time. We don't give to earn anything from God. We don't give to be blessed by God. If you're giving so that God will bless you, Stop giving because your heart is wrong. 
Don't give hoping that you get more back. That's not biblical. That's not why God wants you to give. You're already blessed by God. You give because you have been blessed by God, not to be blessed by God. He's already blessed you in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you give in light of that. And then people always ask me, well, pastor, how much should I give? Ask God. Have you ever asked God how much He wants you to give to the church financially? Well, yeah, pastor, but that number is always more than I want. We'll step out in faith. Have you ever asked God if He wants you to give to the missionaries? Have you, have you ever asked God if He wants you to give to the rescue missions? Have you ever asked God if He wants you to give and how much He wants you to give towards these things that glorify and honor Him? Well, Pastor, should I give 10%? Well, on that, I will tell you this. I think for most people, 10% is where you start. But when the New Testament talks about giving, it tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. In one verse, I'll show you and we'll close. Your giving is to be generous. Why? Because God is generous. Your giving should be sacrificial. Your giving of finances back to the Lord is an offering. Jesus' offering cost Him His life. An offering should not cost us nothing. It should be sacrificial. Our giving should be generous. It should be sacrificial. You should be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. That means hilarious. How many of you ever laugh when you put money in the offering box because it just makes you feel so good? Reese Francis used to pull money out of his shoe and give it to me because that's where he hit it. And he goes, I love giving money to the Lord. I've never, I never miss it when I give the money to the Lord. And one more thing. Your giving to the Lord should be regular. It's hard in the culture in which we live in with the amount of church people miss for giving to the Lord at church is to be regular. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Notice it's in light of your income and it's regular. When it comes to your giving, God wants your giving to be generous. He wants it to be sacrificial. He wants you to be hilarious and loving to give. It needs to be in line with your income. And it needs to be regular. Now your giving to the Lord is not just the giving you give to Him at the local church. It's in many ways. And the blessings that you give to others as He directs you. Friends, as you do these things, your money starts to show that God is more valuable to you than money. It starts to show that God is more valuable to you than stuff. And then you become wise with money because you're being rich towards God. But I missed the main point of the parable. The main parable of the, that Jesus gives is this. He says, man, you want money. You're doing everything that you can to make money. Prepare yourself for this life. Are you prepared for the next life? 
We're so worried about making sure our cell phone bill is paid so that we can go on Facebook and Twitter. Are you prepared for eternal life? Are you doing what you need to do for eternal life? To be prepared for eternal life? And what that is, is turning to Jesus. Confessing of your sin. Repenting of it. Putting your faith and your trust in Christ. Jesus goes, it's far more important for you to put your faith and your trust in me than to make sure you have enough money to buy the stuff you don't need for next week. What are you more worried about? The temporary or the eternal? Are you living for the temporary or for the eternal? You may be prepared now for the month of June, but are you prepared for eternity with Jesus? Maybe you've never come to Jesus and maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you just lived your life trying to prepare for everything in the here and now and you've never confessed your sins to Christ. I think it's time that you do that. That's far more important than what you're doing with your money. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, this day. Father, we really do hate talking about money because it really hits at our heart. But Father, we need to so that money does not become our God and that we do not live for it, but that we use it to live for you. Father, I pray that you would forgive each and every one of us for not being rich towards you the way we ought to be, and maybe even perhaps as a church as a whole. But Father, I pray that you would forgive us of that, but I pray that you would work within us so that we would be rich towards you. We give this to you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.